0: Good morning, let's grab our seats. We're going to dive in here to Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. It's a marvelous weekend so far, watching everyone with Second Harvest and all the families that we were able to help with Second Harvest. And then a whole bunch of you came out for Project Touch, and we hit 445 homes yesterday with a gift and the gospel and, and letting them just know that we care as a church. Um, amen. Amen. And we love them because Jesus loved us. And so we want to pass that on. And then today, we have the packing for the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. The picture and lunch will start at 12.30 in the gym. And then at 1 o'clock, the packing will start. So um, please join us. It is good for God's people to serve together. It's something that brings us together. It's one of our core values of ministry and outreach. And we combine both of those this weekend. And so it is good to be together doing those things. And that's really where we're going to go this morning as we look at a summary of the church. And, and what Luke does here is he, he has different phases of church growth and things that are happening to the church. And then he ends each of those phases with a transition summary of what the church looks like during this time. And so today we're going to be looking at a summary of where the early church is at in Acts chapter 2, 42. And um, it's, it's a sort of a list today. Some of you have already looked at the notes and are panicking. Um, I, but I was telling the elders I did make it less noticeable because I, I renumbered the, I started the numbering over on the second page of the points. So that way it doesn't look like so many. Um, but really what we're going to see is a list of what was the church like, a description of the church. And it is very informative to us to see how the Holy Spirit is forming God's church and how the Holy Spirit wants to form His church today. My title today is Life Together, and just right up front, I stole that, I plagiarized that from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but now that I've quoted it and cited it, it's research. Um, and um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian from the early 1900s, and it was really interesting because as he developed in his theology and studying God's Word, he developed a passion for community, and a passion to shape and live the Christian lives in a faith community and the importance of that. Um, He was just so intrigued by how Jesus works in his people, how the Holy Spirit brings people together and celebrates their oneness. In fact, from 1935 to 1937, he was teaching at a seminary in Finkenwald, and he, he had this experiment with all his classes, and part of what he added to his theology classes was a focus on community and praying together, and studying God's Word together. And he, he sort of forced it on his students. And then he wrote the book Life Together out of that experience of what he saw, the power that he saw. And so much of that book is actually rooted in Acts 2.42 and this whole text that we will look at today. And so, yeah, I stole his title, Life Together, but I, I just I, I didn't have a better way to word it. As we look at the early church, the Holy Spirit was helping them have life together. To to study together, to be together, to encourage one another, preparing them for what we'll see in just three chapters, where the church will be persecuted. But he brings them together to equip them with encouragement and equip them to walk with him. And then the persecution will come, and they will spread, and the church will continue to explode. So today, as we look at Acts chapter two, forty-two through forty-seven. Really, the summary is the spiritual, relational, and material fellowship of the church drew others to Christ as it powerfully showed the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit used this unity spiritually, the, the oneness spiritually, relationally, and with their stuff materially to put on display who Jesus was to the world. And people responded in, in, in incredible numbers as we're going to see. And so this is our summary, and we're going to start at verse 42, and and really 42 is the the common verse we hear, and we haven't heard the rest as much, because 42 is a key verse that summarizes what the church is like at this point. And so the first page of your notes, I want to talk about what is a vibrant, growing church? How do, how do we do this? and And actually, I want to start with verse 47 at the end of the chapter, so you can see the result, and then we'll get back to what led to that result verse 47 says the church was praising god and having favor with all people and the lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved so we have a church that is living in a way that people are watching and being saved every day people are coming to christ every day and so we see that this church was an, it was an attractive church to people it was drawing people in now today there, there's a whole lot of ideas about how to attract people to church right Maybe if we had a better screen and a video wall and maybe if we had some smoke and some glitter and and all kinds of things. Maybe if we had perfect sound and an entertaining pastor. um, Maybe. (laughs) What we're going to see today is those aren't the keys to attracting people to God. Those aren't the keys to attracting people to a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. It actually is a lot simpler than that. It's life together. It's how we live together by the Holy Spirit that will genuinely attract people as they see our heart for God and our heart for each other. And so we want to say, okay, in the, in the verses before that, 42 to, to 46, what does a vibrant, growing church look like? How does it attract people? And so we'll start in verse 42 and, and we'll hit um, pretty quickly through this list. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Right there we have our first four points. That's how quickly we'll go through them. First thing you notice, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that word devoted, we've had that before, but it's good to remind ourselves what it means. Devoted is not just a casual pursuit of. It is an intense effort, a focus on. It is regular, it is continual, it is persistent. And so being devoted to something is a focus that is undivided on something. Sort of like when 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 a family member walks in front of the TV and the TV's on, all of a sudden they just stop right in the middle. Well, in my in my family this happens, and they're just watching. And and nothing else matters. That is an undivided attention, right? That's a focus at that time. This this word for devoted has a part of that to say that's what our focus should be on these things. And so there's this devotion being devoted to the apostles' teaching. And what it's talking about there is a healthy church, a vibrant church, is committed to God's Word. And not just saying they're committed to God's Word, they crave God's Word. They want to learn it. They want to, to have teaching about it. They want to dig in deep, both corporately and personally. And so this early church, and especially Keep in mind, they've gone from 120 to 3,120 in a week or in a few days. And all these people are saying, okay, tell us more about Jesus. Tell us more about the teaching. And so they are just trying to pour as much biblical knowledge, as much of the gospel into them as quickly as possible. And so for us, it's are we committed to God's Word that way? Do we crave it? Or do we just sort of hope we get through the 40-minute sermon? Or the Sunday school class or whatever it is. Or, or are we like excited? Man, what is God going to teach me today? Because God's Word is alive. It's living and active and wants to change us. And so we see the primacy of God's Word. This is the first in the list a commitment to God's Word. It's, it's why we, Bible is part of our church name, Village Bible Church, because we want to make that a commitment. We want to make that part of who we are. And so we as a church, we're committed to teaching God's Word at everything we do and having our ministries centered around God's Word, of going a little deeper in God's Word, going book by book and verse by verse through God's Word because then we let God's Word form us. And God's Word is amazing, guys. It forms us and shapes us. May we be like the people described in 2 Peter 2.2, longing for the pure spiritual milk that by it we may grow up into salvation, longing for the Word. So we have a, a; they're devoted to the teaching of the Word. And in that verse there, to the apostles' teaching. Along with that is whose teaching? The apostles were shepherds. And so you see a church coming under the authority of teaching, coming under those that are qualified. And who was most qualified at the time than those that had been with Jesus from the beginning of His ministry to the ascension? And so they are hearing and learning and studying God's word. They're coming under spiritual leadership and God is using that to attract people. One of the things that I'm, I'm convinced of. And, and even back when we started what, what is now lifeline and reality check, we said one of the things we're going to do is teach God's word. Because in the end, I believe people are looking for substance and truth and not fluff. And fluff will give give a a nice boost for a while, but substance and truth is how lives are changed and what people are looking for. And so we as a church will be devoted to the teaching of God's Word. What does that look like for you? And and remember, the, the definition of devoted, continual intense effort. Let's just go with that as a working definition. Continual intense effort. What does it mean to have continual intense effort for God's Word for you? It might mean during the week opening your Bible, or opening the Bible app, or or something, and and actually saying, "God, what do you want to teach me out of this?" and studying through that. I would encourage you study through a book of the Bible in the next month, and, and and read it, read a chapter a day, or go through our rooted reading plan, but be devoted to that, and it's going to take some effort because devotion takes effort, and so continual intense effort. It means coming on Sunday ready to hear. Afterwards, discussing the text. Discussing what the principles of the text were. Searching to see if we're speaking truth. I'm okay if you're looking through God's Word saying, Pastor and I agree with this or I don't agree with this. Search God's Word. Love it and enjoy it, but be devoted to it. Be in God's Word. So the early church was devoted to God's Word. The next thing we see there and the fellowship. And so point number two is they're devoted to building close fellowship and community. And the word for fellowship there is koinonia, and it means a sharing in, a participating in, in this case, each other's lives. And so it's building deep relationships with each other, close relationships with each other. This is what God wants His church to be. God doesn't want His church to be people that come for an hour on Sunday, don't talk to anyone, and leave. God wants us to be brothers and sisters in Christ, a family. And this early church was like that. They were devoted to the fellowship, to the gathering, to the family. We're a family. And I think of all the mob movies and you're devoted to the families. Maybe we don't carry it quite that far. But we're to be devoted to each other in that way. To share life, to to include someone in your life. For some of you that are are extroverts, this one is like, preach it. That's no problem. For some of us that may be introverts at times, it's like, well, you know, I have my friend. I'm good. But community is more than one person. And and there's going to be levels of relationships. I get that. But are we devoted to the family? Are we devoted to the community? And we're going to see, in fact, this is the one that, that... Luke is going to expand on the most in the rest of the text. What does community look like? Because he sees this as one of the most vital elements after God's Word to, to showing what a vibrant church looks like. And so they're enjoying each other in the, in the unity that the Spirit has created because God, through Jesus' blood, has made us sons and daughters. He has made us a literal family. We are a new family. They were a new family. And so they're to be devoted to community. Again, devoted, continual, intense effort, right? It's our working definition. How do we apply continual, intense effort to family? How do we apply continual, intense effort to this community? And so that means thinking about how to deepen relationships. That means spending time, doing the effort, doing the work. I I know in a family there's disagreements sometimes. In a family of six, there's disagreements sometimes. In a family of 200, woo, we are not perfect people. But being devoted means I'm committed to the effort to make this work. And that's what we see in the early church. You know, you know it's, sometimes we can look at this and say, well, that's them. They had the Holy Spirit. So do we. Well, that's them. They were like really cool with each other. These 3,100 people came from all different countries, included zealots and disciples. No, they weren't cool with each other. They struggled with the same things we did, but, but over all that was what the Holy Spirit was doing, what God was doing, and the fact that there was a bond that He created. And I think that's why it was so attractional, because it was so different. Because these 3,100 people, people would look at and say, there's no way those people get along. And we're going to find from the coming description, they got along in incredible ways. And so a continual intense effort to connect with each other. Even if it's out of our comfort zone. That's what church is to be. Third point there in that verse, a vibrant growing church is devoted to eating together. Yes! We can do this one. We're having pizza at twelve thirty, by the way, out in the gym, um, and so we're devoted to eating together. Now that means something more to them than to us. This isn't just a hot pocket in the microwave. This isn't just Taco Bell drive-through. They're commode, and so I added a part to this point: enjoying table fellowship based on common faith. And there's a lot of sort of technical words there with table fellowship and what that meant is when they came to a table together, when they fellowshiped together, it meant something to them. It was a two or three hour process. I'm not saying all of our meals should be two or three hours, but we learned from the principles of that because they would invest in each other's lives. They would talk. They would eat together and they would talk. They would put down the phones. Maybe they didn't have phones, but, but they, would, they would put aside the distractions and invest in the people they were eating in. You've heard me say this before, even if you had someone you didn't like or an enemy that came in, if you were feeding them, the rules of hospitality was that you protected them even if there was an attack. They were now family for that time. And so table fellowship represented more than, than physical n- nutrients, it represented emotional nutrients. I'm committed to you. And, and so we, we see that right in the verse. They're devoted to the breaking of the bread. Now there's a lot of questions, what does the breaking of the bread mean? And um, some would say that that's the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate today. Some would say that's a meal together. And, and it's really interesting because there are, are really powerful arguments on both sides. Breaking of the bread, that was the term that they would use, especially as they opened a meal together of thanks to God, It was the beginning of a Jewish meal. In fact, later in this same passage, because context always helps us interpret Scripture, in this same passage, breaking of the bread is used for a meal. And there's no question about that. So it has to include the idea of a meal. But later in the church's life, and this is where it gets a little tricky, but later in the church's life, the breaking of bread was a technical description for the Lord's Supper. And so what it looks like is we've looked at different church history documents and things, and and it was interesting because sometimes commentators, there's a lot of different opinions. In this case, almost all of them said, this probably meant both. And I know I say that a lot, but it's like, okay, cool, they're saying that too. And so what their tradition was is they'd have a meal together and they'd have this table fellowship and then they would often end it with the Lord's Supper together as part of the meal and remembering what Christ had done. And and this is just really cool to me, because what that means is they were devoted to fellowshipping, devote, devoted to each other with a basis on the work of Christ. And every time they got together, they worked to be part of each other's lives, but remind themselves that the reason they were is because of Jesus Christ. And so I think both here is the best option for this, um, because we, we it's, it, it represents both and we have other scriptural examples in acts and in first corinthians where this phrase represents both and so this is a, a table fellowship was an intimacy with each other but based on the work of christ and so plan some times where it's not a quick meal with others in the church Plan some times where you can get together and, and maybe, you, maybe you get to, well, today you're having pizza together, but um, another Sunday, maybe you get together afterwards and you discuss some of the text. And, and you, the key to, to fellowship happening at meals is to ask good questions. That's the key at home. That's the key when we get together. Can we ask good questions and generate conversation? Because then we start to get to know each other. Then we start to have that intimacy. Again, being devoted is continual, intense effort. So we need to have continual, intense effort to find times to eat together. To find times to eat in, in different groups and not just with the same person each time or the same family, but to really be, be focusing on that. The next phrase there is devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. And so this was a fervent prayer, probably individually and together. It was a continual idea and and probably in both the homes and the temple as we're going to see. And so they would participate in the prayers of the temple but they were also corporately praying together. Prayer was part of everything they did. And in prayer we see a dependence on God. We see a reliance on who He is. It's an identifying marker of a follower of Jesus Christ. We've already seen the disciples were waiting for the Holy Spirit and so they prayed. They needed a, a 12th apostle so they prayed. And so prayer was part of of their DNA. Village, I hope prayer is part of our DNA. Not just individually, but we're okay coming together to pray. We're okay coming together to share requests. To lift each other up. Because prayer means we want to do this community thing on God's strength, not our own. And so take continual intense effort to pray. Fervent prayer. In verse 43, we see the first result. So 42 is a summary verse. 43 says, "And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And so we see an awe is coming on every soul, probably not referencing non-believers here. And God is doing amazing things in His church. As they come together as community, as they are unified and do life together, God is, is working in the community and people are growing in their awe of god what an amazing result if we just take some time to live life together if we put a priority on that from here the next verses 44 through 47 really expand on the idea of fellowship they all of verse 42 they expand on but it's interesting because they all are this idea of together in fact as you read 42 through 46 you look at how many times the word together is used or of one accord depending on your translation or of one mind and the focus here and how do we come together as a community? Because it is hard. It's hard. One of the things I did this week is, is texted the other pastors and said, so what gets in the way of community? What, what are things that get in the way? And some other people responded as well because our schedules can get in the way of community. Our work can get in the way of community. Busyness, right? I'm too busy for you. And, and, and then we're robbing ourselves of what God intends His church to be and the community that will keep us going. The pull of entertainment, the pull of activities that are always on us. Oftentimes, we just don't make fellowship a priority and that's one of the things that gets in the way. Our egos often get in the way. I want status. I want authority. Why won't people do it my way? I, I know best. And that always pushes people away. Sometimes we don't see church as real family. So we elevate nuclear family as real family and church family is sort of just this, this okay, sideline thing. That's not biblical. And so a, a devotion to church family means we're committed to each other. Cliques can get in the way. I have my friends. I'm good. Those are the people I'm going to talk to on Sunday. It's why I try to talk to different people on Sunday than I do during the week. Um, it's why we as a staff, you don't see us hanging out on Sunday. It's not that we don't like each other. We actually get along pretty well. Except for certain sports teams. But, um, you don't see us hanging out on Sunday because that's not why we're here. We're here to, to develop expanding community. To adopt as many people into the family as we can. And I encourage you to do the same thing. You know, one of, one of, the, I think, the, the biggest things that hurts community is our sense of self. And just as I've observed society in our... And and I know I'm only seeing Southern California. I I recognize that. But I'm seeing such a lack of social awareness. we, We talk a lot about social skills. And yes, those are challenging. But I'm just seeing a lack of social awareness because we filter everything through how I process this instead of filtering everything through how other people process this. Instead of putting others as more important than ourselves... And so we just don't even think, and when we don't have social awareness, we say just silly things. We say hurtful things. We're condescending. We're jumping into situations that don't involve us. We're blessing people with our unsolicited opinions. It's not a blessing. And these things drive wedges in community. And so these next verses, really many of the verses address some of those items. As, as I as I look through it I'm like man each one of these address some of those those problems with community with why we feel disconnected and uncared for and unloved so we get to verse 44 and all who believed were together and had all things in common you see two things right there they shared life together a vibrant church is sharing life together and then a vibrant church is sacrificially helping each other that's the all things in common which is going to lead into verse 45 but that first phrase, all who believed were together. It's a simple phrase, but here's the truth. We have to be together to be together. It's a silly statement, right? It's an obvious statement. Do you get where I'm going with that? We have to be together to be unified, to be together. If we don't ever come together, if we don't ever come to things that other people are at, we can't. we're not sharing life together. And so this simple phrase, all who believed were together, is powerful. They enjoyed being together. And, and really has two aspects. Their hearts were united together in goals, vision, and purpose. There was an emphasis on unity. They were of one mind. They chose unity over disunity. They chose to not have the gift of criticism or division. But they chose to come together. But also presence, we're going to see they they hung out together. Like we said, they ate together. They, and the rest, the rest of this passage is going to expand on that. They didn't neglect times where they had an opportunity to be with God's people. And I challenge you, don't neglect times when you can be with God's people. It is precious. It builds you up. It strengthens you. This is why Zoom church over the pandemic was so hard. It's what we had at times and, and, and and, and I don't regret that because we were grasping at whatever way we could come together, but it was precious to come together in person, wasn't it? That's completely different. That's what that's what I think of when I think of an all who believed were together. And so we need to be together. Second part of that, it'll go into verse 45. The A vibrant church is sacrificially helping each other. The end of 44 said, and they had all things in common... And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so the fellowship, the loving each other, led to a responsibility to care for each other. And one, all, if we truly love each other, if we truly care, then we will truly meet needs. And they will do whatever it takes to meet needs. And so at the back today, we're going to have an option for selling all your homes and cleaning out your bank accounts. And we're going to come just with a joint... No, 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 that's okay. That's actually a fallacy that some have gone to with this verse. But that's not what this verse is saying. And and again, Scripture helps us understand Scripture. The next couple stories help us understand this wasn't something where they all sold everything and put it in a common pot. But the, the, the verb use here is actually that this was a continual, ongoing thing as there was a need. And so what this is describing is an attitude that says, if I hear of a need in the church, I'm going to do whatever I can to help meet that need. And so yes, some people were selling property to meet a need. And, and also, Peter says, some people didn't need to. It wasn't a forced thing. Everything was voluntary. But what it was doing is when there was a need, what, what the principle here is, when there was a need, the family came together and found a way to meet that need. There, there are so many things in this text today that I look at village and I think, wow, these are some of our strong points. This is an especially strong part of Village. When there's a need here, I have never seen a group of people motivated to come together and meet that need like I have here. Village, that's a sign of the Holy Spirit at work in you. Forming hearts. Thank you for that. Keep that up. And so that's what the early church was doing. And so they're probably obeying Jesus in their mind. And I can see Peter up there saying, Jesus said, sell your possessions in Luke twelve thirty-three. Sell your possessions, give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. And so the church was willing to sacrifice their own stuff. They had an open hand policy with their stuff. You need something, here it is. What a blessing. Verse 46 goes on, so we get to 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And this is where I'm like, I want to summarize those, but there are so many individual things here mentioned that I'll just go through them quickly. The vibrant church, a vibrant church is regularly coming together to worship. Day by day, every day they were coming to church. By the way, that's pretty cool. Day by day, they're coming together. They're in Jerusalem area. They're coming to the temple, which means they haven't, they don't see Christianity as, as somehow opposed to Judaism. They see it as a fulfillment of Judaism. And they're coming and, and um, participating in the prayers that are there, or, or participating in some of the sacrifices that are there. But they're also coming together to worship. And again, you see that word together. And, and in ESV it says attending the temple together. It, it's probably better to do like New American Standard or New IV says, that they are committed to coming together um, because the root there is the same root as uh, what we talked about as devoted. That this is a commitment to them. They're coming together to worship. They probably met on the east side of the courtyard because it's mentioned later in Solomon's Colonnade. It would have been a huge area where all of them could have met. They could have prayed together. They could have done teaching together. Quite possibly, we, we don't know this, but this is you know conjecture, holy imagination. Um, it might have been some of the same areas where Jesus taught the week before he was crucified, when he went to the temple every day to teach. Wouldn't that be cool if you're part of the early church and we're like, Jesus taught here? And, and they're learning about Jesus. But the key is they're regularly coming together to worship. We think of Hebrews ten twenty four and 25, not to neglect coming together. Because there is something about coming under the authority of God's Word, coming to worship God together that bonds us. The next thing you see is, again, the breaking of bread in their homes. We've already talked about breaking of breads. They're eating together. And point number four, they're regularly building intimate community in each other's homes. And and, and where it is is important. Now, keep in mind as well, Not everyone had homes in Jerusalem, so the people that did, they have 3,100 people in and out of their homes. Not all at once, but they're just sort of spread out and eating together. It's just community life. I think we could learn a lot about reminding ourselves to be in each other's homes. There is something intimate about coming into someone's house, right? You're looking around, they go out of the room and you're looking at all the pictures and um, then they come back in, you're like, I wasn't looking at them. You're learning about each other. And there's something really important about uh, it. It deepens a relationship when you're in each other's homes. You see each other as real people. You see real life. Here it's easy to put on a facade, isn't it? To put on a mask. It's harder to do that at home. But it's better. Because even though we're, we're, we're all broken creatures, when we live life together, we can help people through that. This is why I love our community group ministry where we meet in homes and we have a couple different homes that are happening and I encourage you to participate in those ministries. I know we're about to take a break for Christmas coming up but in the spring when we start them again join a community group be in each other's homes be studying together praying for each other caring for each other almost everything we're reading today we try to do through our community group ministry. So I encourage you to be part of that. It goes on to say they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And that's points five and six. They were thankful and joyful together. The word for glad is to be exuberant. Exuberant joy, exaltation. Glad, when I first read it, I'm like, okay, they're they're sort of happy. Because glad is sort of a, a lesser word for us. But as I studied the original language, this word actually was a higher word of expression for them. Exuberant joy. And so when they got together, they're like, Yes! good food, good people, good fellowship, good Dr. Pepper, good steak. And that sense of joy tells us they enjoyed being together. They were rejoicing. They were thankful for what God gave them. If we're struggling with joy to come together, we probably need to do some work on our knees for forgiveness, for our attitudes, for our hearts. And that gets to the second part there, with glad and generous hearts. And, a, and again, the word for generous is a very difficult one to translate because it's not generosity as we see, but it had this idea of simple and pure or sincerity. In fact, several translations translate it sincere hearts. And so a better understanding of this word is sincere and humble. And this gets into some of the things that break down community where we're proud and our egos and, and our sense of self. Rather, the church was humble in heart. They didn't put themselves first. Think of Jesus when He says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. That was the attitude that, that developed vibrant community. Not grasping at stuff, positions, status, or their way. An attitude of humility that puts others first. That listens to other people's thoughts first. Or maybe only. That cares for people. And so the end of 46, we have glad and generous hearts. In 47, we have the last two things here, praising God. And so a vibrant church is continually praising God together. And this word has, has two connotations. One, one of the definitions is to sing praises. And so it is good when we come together and sing. It is good to sing praises to God, to elevate God. That generates community. That helps us come together. It encourages us. Thank you, worship team, for that important work as we come together and sing. This also has the idea of just speaking highly of God. Have you ever been around someone that every time you're together, it's like they somehow bring every conversation back to God? That's the church. That's the way it should be. What did God do? How is God great? How is he working? The early church was continually praising God together, and so should we. And finally, 47, which is, or the end of 40, the next phrase of 47 a vibrant church is acting in a way that earns the respect of those around them. And we could spend a lot of time on this, but we're almost out of time. Acting in a way that earns the respect around them. The the wording of the verse says, and having favor with all people, acceptance, respect, that word can be translated as. So others are respecting their witness and they're maintaining their witness. And so that means they're cautious and careful about how they interact with outsiders. They're, they're careful in their words. They're careful in which issues they, they deal with. They keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is sharing the gospel and making disciples. And so they were acting in such a way that earns the respect of those around them. Here's the thing. All these things are tied together, right? And when we act as community, when we act as radical community that loves being together, that's sacrificially meeting needs, that's eating together in each other's homes, which is rare nowadays, that genuinely cares about each other, the world will notice. And they will be like, that's weird. And I want it. And they'll figure out what's going on and they'll respect that. And so we see a whole number of characteristics of the early church, of a vibrant, growing church that is in community, that is living life together. They learned together, they ate together, they prayed, they gave, they worshiped, they rejoiced, and they witnessed together. Because these things are not something we want to do alone. When we find that our spiritual flame starts to diminish when we're not burning as hot, when we're wondering how close we are to God, that's when we tend to actually start separating from God's people too. The problems came when when the flame burns lower. One of the answers is to be committed to God's people. The end of 47 is the result number two. And again, Luke has the first summary, what it did. Here's a a deeper description, what it did. And in 47, we see, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now to do that, that means they're still proclaiming the gospel. They're still sharing the gospel. They're just doing it together. And they're doing it in the context of community. And it's drawing people to Christ. Not the fancy things we can add to the service, but loving each other and telling them about Jesus. That's what genuinely attracts people to Christ. We want to end our service today by breaking bread together. By by taking the Lord's Supper together. And this reminds us the foundation for our unity. The foundation for community. It's not that we just want to really like each other and have a really cool club. It's that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and gave His body so that those who believe in Him would be sons and daughters of the King with their sins forgiven. So village, you're my family your family, because of this table. Not because of anything else. Not because we all live in Orange County. Your family because of this table. And so this has everything to do with community and the foundation for community. So today as we come to the table, we remember different things and, and we look up at what, what um, who Christ is. We look forward to His return. We look back at what He did on the cross for us. But we also look around and remember that community is coming together as a body. Sometimes this is called communion, which implies community, that we come together and take this. And so today, look look around, not physically, but in your mind, say, am I committed to community? Am I committed to church family? Because that's what God desires. Let's bow our heads and thank God for His work. Lord God, thank You for Your work on the cross. Lord, we think of it so many times individually and and I'm amazed at eternal life and I'm amazed at forgiveness of sins. But Lord, with today's passage, help us to remember that it's the basis for, for church family. And part of what you were doing on the cross was creating your body, your church, your bride. And so Lord, we come to you as your bride to remember what you've done. Help us to honor your sacrifice, honor your body, by loving each other well. Lord, as we sing, as we worship, may it be your bride singing to you in worship and praise in your name.